All right. Yeah. God Whispers, episode 240, part A, airing September 16th, 2013. Hang on, baby Jesus, this is going to get bumpy. Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen, he doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with trees. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whispers. Welcome to the world-famous God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirla. And today on the line, we have someone very special with us, Pastor Jack Cashione. We do. Are we going to do... Uh, let's not dispense with our housekeeping here. No, no, no. So, not at all. I'm just teasing people. Oh, teasing. I'm getting them excited. You're a tease. I am a tease. You've been known. Well, you know, ask my wife. She'll tell well. you. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to call the Manly Doctors hotline and leave a message, we'll probably play it on air. And if you're really ridiculous, we'll make fun of you. Otherwise, we may take your question or comment seriously. That is 626-593-7713, 626-593-7713, which spells Manly Doctors 13. Manly That's right. No, no, no last names, no personal information, and please use judgment. If you leave your phone number, we may well give it out to the world. That it will be given out to the world. <laughs> uh, the mothership is godwhispers.org, and you can email us at godwhispers at gmail.com. Uh, we're going to forego the mailbag today so we have enough time. We're going to get straight to we're it? We're going to get straight to the topic. Uh, now that we're tanned, rested, and ready to go after a long uh, summer's break of three weeks, uh, I just got back from the uh, Synodical Convention where I was the convention essayist. You were what? I, I was. I was convention What did essayist. you talk about? I talked about baptized for this moment. and it was As quite, opposed to baptized for eternity? It was quite a moment. Well, it's it's a moment of eternity and time. So it was really quite... quite I have deja vu all of a sudden. I don't know why. But what, what catches our interest here, and actually this is mentioned in an article in uh, Christian News dated uh, Thursday, June 27th. Uh, 2013, under the, uh, the, the headline, Sacerdotalist Taking Over the LCMS uh, by Jack Cashione. We have uh, Jack Cashione on the line. He's, he was with us before and agreed to come back and, and talk to us about this, this problem uh, of sacerdotalism in the Missouri Synod. Uh, Jack, welcome to the God Whispers. Thank you. Um, sort of right off the bat, uh, a couple of, a couple of questions. Uh, first of all, uh, the the article that you wrote in Christian News in June 
Uh, it's it's singular, sacerdotalist uh, taking over the Missouri Synod. Uh, does that mean a specific person uh, who is a sacerdotalist uh, is I, taking over the LCMS, or sacerdotalists in general are taking over? Let's make it in general. Uh, okay, so it, it should have been sacerdotalists, uh, plural, are taking over the LCMS. Uh, don't, don't let him bother you, Jack. He, well, he's, he's always correcting my grammar all the time. <laughs> well, I am. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an amateur uh, editor and grammarian here. The, um, you, you listed a couple of definitions of sacerdotalism from, uh, from a couple of uh, dictionaries and that, but what, what's your understanding, first of all, of the error that, that you uh, label as sacerdotalism? Well, you know, it, it takes a number of forms, and obviously uh, it, 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 you find it in its, uh, its full bloom in the Catholic Church, uh, but it's uh, evident in uh, other denominations and those that want to emulate part of the Catholic Church or their opinion about the office of ministry. I could say, uh, I, I, by definition, I've seen what I would call low church sacerdotalists and high church sacerdotalists. So it's not necessarily whether they're dressing up in a lot of robes or not. It depends really on uh, how they view the office of ministry and how the members are supposed to relate to the pastor. That is the uh, final factor in what is a sacerdotalist. So it, it really isn't uh, about uh, ceremony and chanting investments and that kind of thing, but it's, it's about uh, the relationship between uh, the pastor and the people, the congregation, or the congregation in general. So, uh, can I, can yes. I, so what do they have in common, these low church and high church sacerdotalists? Well, what, what, what makes, uh, what, what, what's the essence of their error here? So for those who believe in... Uh, Ordination, other, uh, you know, there are many denominations that don't actually practice ordination. They just think the pastor is directly called by God. He's got the call, and he demonstrates his ability by uh, how he preaches or how he can uh, proclaim the word of God, and everybody has to decide if he really has the spirit or not. And then, then he's got the power. That'd be the low church sacerdotalist. The high church sacerdotalist uh, would be one that receives the so-called sacrament of ordination, which uh, theoretically uh, is supposed to impart a spiritual gift to the individual, the candidate being ordained uh, through the laying on of hands. Uh, Of course, this is now practiced by the ELCA as part of their agreement in merging with and being in fellowship with the, I shouldn't say merging, I should say being in fellowship with the Episcopal Church, and uh, therefore, uh, through this, they believe that uh, uh, when official priests are present, that the uh, uh, apostolic succession will be uh, passed on through the clergy by the laying on of hands as it comes through the Episcopal Church into the ELCA. And I, I, I suppose it becomes more and more holy in their view. Uh, because all of the clergy are being touched by other clergy in that moment of ordination, and now the holy rite from the apostles is being passed on from one hand to the next hand, and so forth. Uh, this was uh, the error uh, that uh, the uh, early members, the settlers of the LCMS back in 1838 believed when they went up to Mississippi, and when things kind of went south and everything fell apart, one of their options was to go find a Swedish bishop 
who still had the apostolic succession and then they would have real pastors. And that, that was the conundrum which they found after the disgrace of Martin Stephan. Of course, that was as ridiculous as the other opinion, and one error was going to compound the previous. Jack, this is Craig. Uh, I just want to play a little devil's advocate here. Doesn't um, Melanchthon... That's, that's never safe. <laughs> doesn't Melanchthon refer to ordination as possibly being understood as a sacrament in the confessions? Yes, he does. So uh, how, how, if, would you, you how would you harmonize that with what you're saying? If, if you want to understand it as the ability to stand up in front of a congregation and pronounce the absolution, proclaim the gospel, um, obviously that there is a spiritual blessing when the gospel is proclaimed, when absolution is, is announced. That's strictly how he meant it. He didn't mean it was being imparted to the person himself. Right, and I, of course, I agree you, with you. you know quite well. What's that? I agree. I agree, yeah. That's... That's my understanding also there. Yeah, well, that's, uh, Melanchthon uh, is, is clear. He says, you know, when we're referring to the ministry of the Word in the sacraments, then we have no difficulty in, in calling ordination a sacrament. But there it's, it, it has to do with the office, not the person. And it's not a power that's imparted to the person, but the authority to preach, teach, and administer the sacraments, right? I mean, that, that's, that, that, that's our, our common no, confessional No indelible mark is uh, put upon Well, you. no personal. We don't take it personally. We take it officially. The office, it's the, if we separate the person and the office, uh, there are some who practice that they have received this sacrament in their person. Others claim it's part of the office, so that the minister who assumes the office now, because of the office, has certain spiritual gifts when he enters into the office because it becomes part of the office itself which uh, is not proven by Scripture either. So, so really, the, the, the heart and essence of the error is, is the, this, this power, uh, however you ascribe it, or whatever, however you describe it, uh, the, this power is inherent with the person, that it's not about the office, but about the person. And so a sacerdotalist would be one who claims a personal power, whether the Holy Spirit or some, some kind of power, by virtue of his ordination, right? Is, is that fair? Yes. So... It, it, with regard then back to the article you 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 see the the article cites as evidence that sacerdotalists are taking over the LCMS first of all as uh, my uh, being scheduled to be the convention essayist which which I was Craig uh, if I've not mentioned that you, I was the convention what essayist. did you talk about uh, baptized for this moment oh, I was right, the first yeah. Sunday morning yeah, I did hear about good that. essay I think um, the uh, but I was the the convention essayist. Uh, uh, you also mention uh, William Whedon, who's the convention chaplain, who's also uh, the, uh, I don't know what his title well, is. Well, he is but a sacerdotalist, he's the, he's the, he's the, Shut up. I'm pretty um, sure he is. Let's see. You also mention uh, in passing, well, no, uh, Paul McCain and Mark Sell of CPH, who, uh, who uh, published the Lutheran Confession, the, the rewrite of the Lutheran Confessions. And then finally, uh, President Harrison. Um, is it your contention that, that all the people that I've named, including myself, are sacerdotalists by the definition that you, we just arrived at? I'm only going by previous statements, uh, places where I've been where these people have spoken. Uh, I'm going by their, their titles. 
I am of the opinion that when a man calls and wants the title father, he's, I certainly see the flags go up that he's looking for the uh, sacrament of ordination uh, because that's reminiscent of the Catholic Church or Orthodox Church and others. Uh, so that, that, that's, that's a red flag right there because father is not a, a germane to Lutheran clergy, at least shouldn't be. Well, how are they father? They're not anybody's father. They're pastor. Well, they're didn't reverend, Luther go by Father Martin? How's that? Didn't Luther go by Father Martin? Father Martin Luther? Of course he did. Even, he even after the, the uh, nailing of the 95 oh. Theses and being kicked out of the Roman Catholic Church? Oh. and Difficult to shed, to, shed the, uh, to shed the title after you had it all those years, but he certainly denounced the whole, docu- the whole attitude of sacerdotalism. Just because Luther, I mean, I don't think Luther's the best example there because he started with the title and it kind of hung on him. But that doesn't mean that the title fits uh, because how, who's going to have it after Luther? There was nobody else to pass on the so-called sacrament of ordination, which Luther certainly denounced. Uh, and uh, the people that I named, you know, they're just a few. There's a, a wide range of LCMS clergy. Uh, obviously, and also in the ELCA, uh, even more, who are who are proclaiming and uh, promoting a whole range of sacerdotal positions on their doctrine, on their office, on the operation of the church, and it usually comes to the head when uh, you raise the issue, or one one raises the issue of voter supremacy. Who is the who is the final authority? human authority in the congregation, and uh, I said human, and uh, that usually brings them out. And then they have to kind of state the, state the position, and that's where you find a person like Leah or Grabau or Martin Stephan or clear sacerdotalists. Now, I can't really, this is, this is Bill Swirl again, I, I, I can't uh, speak for the other guys uh, that are listed there um, because I don't, you know, I don't know what they prefer to be addressed as, but I, I've been, it's been 21 years since I was ordained into the holy ministry, and I, I have never uh, encouraged uh, or even wanted to be called father. Uh, I've, I've always referred to myself as pastor. My people in my congregation refer to me as pastor. It's all I ever instruct them to call me. So, um, but it's an option. It's an option in the LCMS. As you know, well, not not, is, not with me. I when if if people were to address me as Father Swirla, I usually wrinkle my nose and say I prefer to go by Pastor. In fact, I would go so far as to say that I I would apply that saying of Jesus, where he actually says to his disciples, uh, "Call no one." Uh, father. Now, I know that some people don't don't apply that passage uh, to this particular application, but I, I actually think that it, it really does apply, and, and I don't think that's an appropriate name for uh, a pastor, uh, especially one holding the Lutheran confessions. So we actually well, agree there, but I'm uh, so so that would keep that would be a check that I don't have on the sacerdotalist uh, list. I. I, that may be that may be you personally, but uh, you know, Whedon prefers it. Others prefer it. He's not the only one. There are many. There are many other LCMS pastors that like that title, Father. I've met them. I've talked to them. I've seen their sign the name that way. It, it's the way that their groups within the LCMS communicate with each other, identify each other. That's one area. There are other areas where you find that where you find the sacerdotal position 
and the way they re- they relate to the congregation, the way they regard the office. This is all coming out of uh, has been coming out of one way or other out of Fort Wayne, and obviously some of it uh, out of St. Louis, but more in Fort Wayne. And I and uh, I'll give let me give you a quote on what I think is uh, a characteristic of the whole sacerdotal mentality, which is kind of like you know. SOP here in the LCMS. Uh, uh, this is a quote from the 2007 uh, Cornerstone. The title of the article is uh, it's from Fort Wayne, uh, an incarnational ecclesiology, keratological and liturgical. This is a quote. Wherever the bishop appears, there let the congregation be, just as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. And then a little bit later on, his other quote, for where there is not a bishop preaching and the company of souls, there is no church. Both of those statements are, are in error. And then we, then it goes on. Uh, well, I'll give you the, that comes from a quote from Ignatius. They're actually quoting Ignatius. You know, uh, I, so you, I you honor would... Ignatius. He's an excellence. I, I, have, I, I honor Ignatius, but on this point, he was in error. He writes... Wherever the bishop appears, and we have a bishop. Wherever the bishop appears, there let the people be as wherever Jesus Christ is. There is the Catholic Church. It is not lawful to baptize or give communion without the consent of the bishop. On the other hand, whatever has his approval is pleasing to God. To thus, whatever is done will be safe and valid. You know that Ignatius has that reversed. It's the congregation that authorizes the pastor to preach and teach and to commune and to baptize. Ignatius has that completely reversed uh, in its in its proper order, and so you have this whole attitude as if the sacraments are validated, the gospel is validated because it came out of the mouth of the ordained and from the hand of the ordained preacher, which is totally in error. The sacraments are self-validating. The Word of God is self-validating. We're talking about how it's to be used, and that authority rests with the voters' assembly. Well, now, the, uh, in, in Melanchthon's treatise on the power and the primacy of the Pope, uh, which only deals with the Pope, in, it, only the first part deals with the Pope, part A. Part B deals with the, the office of bishop. Um, there, Melanchthon points out that every pastor in his congregation has the full authority of bishop. Uh, and so it, and one wonders here whether Ignatius, whether we're reading perhaps too much or, or slanting Ignatius. Uh, Ignatius is perfectly aware that bishops were elected by the people. Uh, the, you know, that is, the, the people chose those among them who were qualified, and, and, and they, they were chosen and elected by the people. Uh, even back in Ignatius' day. And so Melanchthon basically would, would uh, ascribe a, you know, any parish pastor in, in the tiniest of congregation of the full authority of bishop, that is, to preach the gospel and administer the sacraments. Not that they validate it, but that they have the authority to do those things, right? You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't agree that anybody has the authority to preach, teach, and administer the sacraments in the church. Absolutely not. However, that, but you know, you're not giving Ignatius here the full weight of what he says. He's identifying the location of the church with the bishop. For where there is not a bishop preaching and comfort, so there is no church. The church is not 
the office of the ministry is not a mark of the church. There are only three marks of the church, the gospel, the Lord's Supper, and baptism. And it's a church when it's vacant. It's still a church. When the office of the ministry is vacant, it's still a church. But, but the, 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 the church is not identified by the presence of the bishop. The, the term vacancy, though, uh, implies that the office exists even though it isn't filled. And so it's, it, it still is the, where the church is, there the ministry is. Where the ministry is, there the church is, right? Uh, otherwise, you couldn't really speak of a vacancy. But that's not. But that's not what Ignatius is saying. He's identifying here with the individual. That's possible. But but you know now now we're Lutherans and we have the Lutheran confessions. And I think uh, Melanchthon in the second part of the treatise does a fine job of articulating the relationship uh, between the office and 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 the church. And uh, seems, at least uh, in his writings, to uh, basically say wherever the church is, there the office exists, and there it must be filled. Right? You wouldn't. You would. I agree with that. You wouldn't say that it's optional that a congregation fill the office, or that the that like any anybody could just get up on a Sunday and do these things, right? A, ch- a church has got to fill the office. That's the church's duty to fill the office. Right. And and so right. Uh, and, and so Our the question. So the, the authority to preach and teach and administer the sacraments is, is located in the office of the ministry. You're, you're authorized to do this. It's kind of like being the president of the United States. Not everybody can play president. You're going to get in trouble doing that. Well, I, mean, I, I wouldn't quite, quite, quite go with the political definition. Uh, the, the, uh, the view is that from Melanchthon, is that the church is above the ministers. The congregation is above the, the pastor and has authority over the congregation, as a congregation, has authority over the pastor and is the final authority. And it is through the, through the congregation that a call, a divine call is issued. A pastor can issue his own call. Other pastors cannot issue a call to another pastor. Only the congregation can issue a call and therefore, the pastor at the congregation has authority to call. It also has the authority to validate the Lord's Supper and baptism. Now, in other words, without a congregate, without a congregational vote, regardless of the minister, the Lord's Supper wouldn't be valid. The real presence would not take place without the congregation's vote on the correct doctrine. I think what Bill's kind of getting at here is you don't have one without the other. You, you don't have the rights, the, the, I'm sorry, you don't have the gifts rightly given without one who's rightly called to give the gifts, but at the same time, one cannot rightly be called to give the gifts without a rightful calling by a congregation. So it, it's, a, it's not an either-or proposition that we're talking about. It's a both-and. The pastor is called by the congregation to serve in this function as the dispenser of God's gifts. Uh, well, let's, uh, no, let's avoid the word function to office. Okay, very well. Uh, so would you agree with that assessment, or, or do you have a different take on it? By the authority of the congregation. Well, I, is, know, it, my, is it... My, my ordination didn't make me a pastor. Only the call made me a pastor, and that's what Walter teaches Right, but I would go one further. I would say that it is God calling the man through the or through through the tool of the congregation 
God is calling the man. So, so the, the congregation is the calling tool that God uses to call the man into the office. Exactly. So, so I received a divine call through a, through a Christian congregation. And if, if, the, if they have a correct doctrine, they have a right to issue a call to a man to fill that office because where two or three are gathered together, uh, there am I midst of them. And that means in his name, where they gather together in his name, which means where is his name? When they agree on the gospel, when they agree on the Lord's Supper, when they agree on baptism, there we have a church. Now, did, did I understand what you say, what you said correctly here in saying that um, it's the church's call that essentially guarantees the real presence of the Lord's Supper and the validity of the absolution and the validity of baptism? The church's vote. So, so, so the church's without the church's vote, is that a majority vote, a unanimous vote? Um, well, the question is, how many people can you have present in the meeting who say, "I don't believe in, I don't believe in the real presence"? Uh, before we have agreement on whether the congregation believes the real presence, and if the congregation doesn't believe the real presence, then there is no real presence. Exactly. And so if the congregation doesn't believe in, in the validity of baptism, then there's no baptism administered. Correctly. That's and, correct. And if, the, and if the congregation doesn't believe in the absolution, the spoken forgiveness of sin, then no absolution is given or received in that, right? So it, it's all contingent really on, on what the congregation believes. Yes, it is. Of course, and the congregation has to believe what is in the Bible, and have a correct teaching what's in the Bible. But, you know, they become the, they become the visible presence. They are, they have a church. My, my call was not signed by the Holy Spirit. It was signed by, you know, uh, identifiable, people, identifiable people with addresses and homes, you know, and names and, and opinions. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't serve community to anyone in the group who didn't agree to the real presence. So we had to have unanimous agreement. Uh, for to be a member of the church, there has to be unanimous agreement uh, and required unanimous agreement uh, to remember the church, for the church to uh, say it is a church and that we believe, teach, and confess the correct doctrine about the gospel, about baptism, and the Lord's Supper. Now, uh, if, if that authority rested with the pastor, and, and if he has the correct teaching, then that would mean, well, uh, a Lutheran minister could walk over into a, uh, a Methodist church, uh with the elements, they all have the Lord's Supper. And no, they don't. But a, but, a Luther, but a Methodist minister, if he keeps, if he isn't being honest with the people and claims he's a Lutheran minister, and, can, and if he walks up in the Lutheran church and he performs the, uh, he announces the words of institution, the congregation... The Lutheran Church gets the real presence. Though if I went over believing the Lord's, prayer, Lord's Supper and, can, and I had to do the Lord's Supper in a Methodist church, nobody gets the Lord's Supper, including me. So, so let, let's, let's put, your, put ourselves in the position of the visitor going around um, to various churches looking for a church. 
Um, how do I, as a visitor, know that the absolution that I hear at the beginning of the service is a valid absolution, since I don't know the members of the congregation or, or their faith, what they believe? Let's say uh, I walk into a, uh, if I walk into a Mormon church, and they and uh, and here I'm in a Mormon church, and the and the uh, the the uh, the the fellow who's in charge, I forget the title again, who's in charge of the quote stake, I think that's their word, and he were to recite the the uh, absolution of the congregation, nobody would be forgiven. Now let's let's uh, in the second half hour. I want to move from Mormon to to say Methodist or Catholic or some other other uh, something more close closer within the orbit of Christianity rather than outside it. But uh, we'll pick it up in the second half hour. We'll be right right back after this. It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood. The neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? I'm Bill, Bill Swirla, and on the line we have Pastor Jack Cashone. <laughs> so much for that. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we, we're chomping at the bit to get back into we, the action here. We are. Jack, let's talk about like heterodox communions like the Methodists, the Catholics, whomever you wish to put into that. But those who confess the triune God, those who confess Jesus Christ as Redeemer of the world, etc., an, an absolution, a Lord's Supper, a baptism administered there, go or no go? Well, if, if I walked into a Catholic church that confesses the Apostles' Creed and the priest announces the, uh, the absolution, all believers are absolved because that is, that is the, that's the ecumenical faith. That's the creed. That is, that's the, the character of the, of the entire church. 
And if you have agreement on that, somebody's up there and announces, everybody confesses their sins, and somebody announces the the absolution. It would be if it's a Methodist church, if uh, it would be have to be have to be a Trinitarian church. Any church that confesses the Trinity uh, would it would seem to have a valid. Uh, absolution. But in those in those churches, uh, the, their their ministers aren't necessarily there by the vote of a voters' assembly. And in, in a lot of those uh, polities, those those pastors are placed by their bishops. Yes, uh, and of course, but as, as you also know, as you also know, uh, any Christian can absolve a- another Christian, uh, and uh, the and the the Christians in the church have placed the pastor up there. We here we have a whole community of people who all believe in the in the Apostles' Creed. So it could be the it could be the bishop, it could be the Monsignor, it could be a layman in the pew. Well, would as you say as, as long as he goes up there and announces? Of course, he doesn't have authority to do it because they don't let him. But it would be valid based on agreement in the Trinity. What you say about absolution is certainly in line with our confessions, but you wouldn't say the same thing about the Lord's Supper or uh, even baptism, would you? Well, uh, you know, I, I would agree that baptism is valid in the Baptist Church, even though they themselves uh, don't believe there's any power to it, because they confess to the actual power they agree with the Trinity. Therefore, either their words can't deny it because they confess the Trinity, but their Lord's Supper has no validity, uh, because their words and their actions all deny the meaning of the real presence. And therefore, they are all agreed that no one there present received the Lord's Supper. In fact, they deny it. And therefore, even if a Baptist or a Methodist uses the identical words that the Lutherans use or that are in the Lutheran hymnal, no one received the Lord's Supper in that church. The um, now in in the first half hour you you said you said that it was the it was the vote of the congregation that validates these things but but now now you seem to be saying that where that vote isn't there or even if if it it doesn't exist nonetheless these things are valid at least for those who believe huh it, uh, the belief. The belief of the layman does not consecrate the element. Right. It's the confession. It's the confession of the church itself. So if I walk, if I walk into a church with a title Lutheran on it, and I read their confession that denies the real presence, I didn't receive the Lord's Supper, even if I believed I did. I didn't. And even even if they use the very words of Christ, if they if their constitution. And they're in agreement, denounces the Lord's Supper, and they're still using uh, a Lutheran hymn book. No one received the Lord's Supper in that church. Otherwise, we're going to have to agree that all the Reformed had the Lord's Supper, regardless of what they believe, because they all said the right words, and the saying of the words then becomes the, uh, the final act in consecration, which it cannot be. It has to be agreement with the, with the uh, words by the people administering the sacrament. Otherwise, it's not there in that place. I don't want to lose that point. Why, why can't it be in the consecration? Why can't the confidence of the real presence be in the consecration? Because the, because the consecration takes place 
not by the words themselves, but by the meaning of the words. If you change the meaning, the words are just words. And if so, I say up, and, and if I say up when I point down, right, and I say down when I point up, and we both say the word up, we know one of us didn't have, we don't have, we don't have agreement. So, so what you're saying in effect is that the real presence is not affected by the consecration, but by the confession of the church. Uh, yeah, I'm saying the, conf- the confession of the church itself is what they mean by the words that are spoken. I have to know what they mean, because we both know that, that the Calvinist churches use the identical words in the Lord's Supper, and they do not have the Lord's Supper. How do you explain that? Well, Jack, I, I'm, this is Craig. Uh, I'd look at 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, and I would, uh, from that, not insinuate that they don't have the Lord's Supper, but they do have it, but they're eating and drinking to their own judgment. W- would you disagree oh, so, with that? Yes, I do. I, I don't think it's there to be, it's not present to be taken to their own judgment. It doesn't even exist. Can you defend that from the Scriptures? Hello? The script, uh, when you say defend it, I would defend anything I just said from the Scripture to the point of, of hermeneutics, interpretation of a word. And I'll, I'll repeat this again. If I said up, but I'm pointing down, and you said, and you said up, and you're pointing up, and then we've said, well, we have the same words. Yes, we have the same words, except we're going in two different directions. Uh, so how are we both going to get this? How are we both going to get to the same place with the same words? We're not. You you not only have to have agreement in the word, you have to have agreement on the meaning of the word. Right. So l- l- let me let me let me test this then. So the reformed churches uh, don't have the Lord's Supper because because right. th- though they may they don't always, but they they may use some form of the words of institution and quote the very words of our Lord. Nonetheless, they don't teach and understand those words correctly. Therefore, they don't right. have the Lord's Supper. Correct. Right? So, so therefore, therefore the it, 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 does them, it does them no harm nor good. They, in the Reformed Church, they are receiving simply bread and wine or bread and grape juice or whatever they're serving up there. But there's nothing, there's nothing else there. There's no body and blood. Uh, Nothing. Which they which they would it be profaning happen. otherwise. It, they, they couldn't profane it. They don't even have it. They don't have it. Okay. Just, they don't have it. That would that would be like saying that the Mormons have baptism. Right. They use the same words. They have the they have the same words, but nobody's baptized. Right. So 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 then if I'm if I'm looking for a church, you know, and most most of our listeners are are not pastors, but they're 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 laity and 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 people just kind of listening in and looking. If I'm looking for a church, that kind of means that I almost have to check out a church's constitution and bylaws and what I mean, how how can I measure whether I'm getting anything at all in a church because I don't know what these people believe necessarily. I mean, sooner or later I will, but but it, yeah. it, that's going to take a while, right? If it says church, that means it's a church. I mean, you know, I, I had a member once, the last name was Daisy Church, and she was no church. She was a nice lady, but she wasn't a church. Uh, but but everything everything that I got in the mail from her, uh, everything we sent to her was sent to the church. Uh, you know, it's not the name. It's what you mean by the name. 
And so if some place wants to call itself a church, Taco Bell's got a bell. That doesn't make it a church. Right. But, and uh, I'm, sure, but, I'm sure there's some churches that serve lousy, lousy tacos, but they're a real church. They're, 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 they're like 27 Christian churches in my town. So um, how do I know that I'm getting the real deal at any of them, including my own? You have to look at what they mean by the words. Okay. And, what do they mean? And, and, how, and, if, and, if, and if, if, a layman, if a layman says, well, I can just walk into any church I feel like walking into, and that'll be good for me, well, that's a delusion. Try, try that with any drug off the pharmacist's, count, off the pharmacist's wall. You say, well, I got, I, you know, I got a headache. I'll take a drug. I'll, any, anything will do. No, it won't. You have to have the right drug. And, uh, and if lazy laymen don't want to take, a, take the time to find out what a church believes before they join, well, let them suffer the consequences. You know, you, you have a lot of problems when you, walk, when you walk into a church and say, oh, they're a church. And next thing you know, you find out one of their deals is snake handling or uh, they, they believe in polygamy. Uh, no, you have to find out what they actually believe, teach, and practice. And that's part of the labor of joining a church. Okay, so so that that would include then uh, taking uh, I would say like taking classes or something. That that would be one of the one of the purposes of taking uh, membership classes is to uh, determine what this church actually teaches, right? Of course, and you and so what? How do I know I receive the Lord's Supper? If this is a one of the one of the wonderful things about a synod is that. All the uh, when you have a synod, all the congregations of that synod, by the constitution of the synod itself, have to have certain doctrinal requirements in their church constitution that certifies them as members of the synod in good standing because of doctrinal agreement on on important issues. Therefore, in the LCMS, anybody can walk in the LCMS church and know this is what that church must believe, teach, and confess to be part of the synod, unless the whole synod, uh, whole synod's doctrine is breaking down, unless the doctrine of discipline is falling apart. That, that has happened as well in, in uh, synods before the LCMS. But if you generally, when you walk into a Wisconsin synod or ELS or Missouri Synod Church, you can be fairly certain that they, they believe, teach, and confess what the Luther Confessions confess about the Lord's Supper, about baptism. Therefore, there will be the real presence on the altar when the words are spoken, because you know what they mean when they said the words. The power, the power has to be in the words, but not just the syllables or the letters. It has to be the meaning of the words. So, so it, it sounds as though the, it, the, the, while the words are important, the actual power of those words lies with the confession of the Church. With the confession of the voters' assembly, because somebody's got to sign off on the Constitution. Yeah. Um, I want to slide back to your analogy of the pharmacy a little bit. It, it, it kind of struck me that, you know, Vicodin is Vicodin, whether I believe it is or not. Um, so, right. so, so actually my, my believing or my even understanding of what the term Mike Vicodin means is secondary to, uh, what it actually is. It remains what it is, whether I know what it is or believe what it is or anything. Now it might be dangerous for me to take it, not knowing what it is, but I don't affect the nature of the thing. Um, if that analogy holds, you would have to say the same about the Lord's Supper, baptism, or the forgiveness of sins too, wouldn't you? I I would say that uh, I'm back to the the uh, 
the magnificent part about having a synod. The, the synod is guaranteeing the doctrinal position of the congregation that bears its name when you walk into it. So I can be as sure uh, of the sacraments and the gospel as I can be sure of the synod? I can, if, I'm, if, if the synod has got its statement on, on uh, baptism, Lord's Supper, correct? If the synod has that correct, then, and, that's re, and having it correct in your own church constitution as a requirement to join that synod, uh, then, then the average layman can walk into any one of those else in the churches and be certain they're going to receive the real presence in the Lord's Supper when the church is offering communion. Uh, you know, it's the FDA that says Vicodin is Vicodin in, in uh, all the CVS or in all the Walgreens. It's not Walgreens. It's not, it's, it's not CVS. It's the FDA. So the FDA makes the Vicodin Vicodin. Well, yeah, they guarantee the, chem, the chemistry. The LCMS, <laughs> is, by constitution, is joining. Now, how does a church become a part of the LCMS? By vote. So, so it ultimately then comes down to to this this business of of voting and the voters' assembly as kind of the final guarantor, or the 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 it, it, the buck really stops with the voters' assembly, right? In in what you're saying, they are the thugs. It's their duty to to see to it that their church that their congregation is operating towards its own church constitution. The people who signed it, the people who claim to be voters. There, that's part of their duty. Apart, of, apart from all the other duties, you know, what kind of paint do we have on the walls? Do we cut the grass? How's the budget? Those are all secondary. The most important thing is that the voters are guaranteeing their church is operating according to the Constitution we all agreed to, and our baptism is A, number one, and our Lord's Supper is absolutely the body and blood of Christ. And when that minister opens his mouth, he's going to preach the pure gospel here at this particular church. And once the voters stop seeing themselves as the watchdogs, they have surrendered their Christian responsibility. As Melanchthon says, it is their duty. I'll give you a quote. When Melanchthon, when Melanchthon speaks the Concordia Triglata, page 507, paragraph 11, he says, quote, in 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul makes ministers equal and teaches that the church is above the ministers, hence superiority or lordship over the church, or the wrath of the ministry is not ascribed to Peter in preference of the apostles. For as he says, does all things are yours. I'm not going to read the rest of it. it the, when he says all things are yours, that church, its operation, the buck has to stop. Now, if the, with the voters. Now, if the voters don't have their doctrine right, they don't have authority to issue me a divine call. And therefore, they can't even make a valid pastor. Uh, Jack, this is Craig. Uh, I'm I, I'm willfully ignorant of what you're speaking of. I, I have to admit. Uh, could you track back in church history how how this has played out over the years? I, you know, as far as I know, this all pretty much started after the Stefan debacle, and is kind of unique to American Lutheranism. But uh, perhaps you could instruct me on how this played out in the in the at the time of the Reformation, in the Middle Ages, and in the early church period and uh, how, how the Voters' Assembly has ruled supreme for 2,000 years. Well, we all know Luther couldn't practice the ecclesiology he preached, because 
he still had once he was once he was uh, uh, rid of the Catholic Church. The next thing he had to do was report to the Duke, and uh, you can read his letters where uh, he even asked asked the Duke permission to excommunicate somebody. He had this this, this captain he called a skirt a skirt chaser, and and he wanted to excommunicate him, but he had to ask the Duke for permission. So the Duke was the voters' so, assembly, or is that what you're saying? If they had, there was no voters. He had, a, he had Luther had to deal with a hierarchical, a hierarchical institution, and he ended up swapping uh, the the bishop for the duke in in a number of areas. Who was going to be the final authority? And was the duke paying his salary too? Okay, but uh, I'm still it. not seeing how that ties into the voters' assembly. I'm I'm trying to understand this. Uh, well, the, what I'm saying is Luther at times didn't have, didn't have to. He couldn't deal with it. Somebody had to report to other people. But he certainly taught there should be voters' assemblies. And if you go to Luther's works, Church and Ministry, Volume 1, uh, or uh, I should say uh, Volume 39, and it's the first in a series of Church and Ministry, it's Volume 39, page 305, you have this lengthy title. Luther loved lengthy titles. I, I like his lengthy titles. I think titles have gotten too short uh, over the years. That a Christian assembly or congregation has the right and the power to judge all teaching and to call, appoint, and dismiss teachers established and proven by Scripture. Now, that's, that's Luther, and he's writing that back in, what was that, 1521? The, um, I, you know, I was looking in the, the treatise, or the, the tractate and the power and primacy, of which you quoted, you quoted reference, uh, line reference 11, where it talks about Paul makes ministers equal and teaches that the church is above the ministers, says the the um, the Jacobs English. Uh, you're aware that the German um, is uh, the church is um, is mehr als the church is more than the ministers. Uh, the Latin text. I, don't, there, I know the, that the German and the Latin don't agree there. The, the Latin text is supra ministerium. That would be more consistent with the church is above the ministers, but. Um, yeah. it, it's it's noteworthy that the 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 German tra- and and granted that the the Latin is the authoritative text of the tra- of the tractate, but the the contem- the German that's contemporary um, with that at the time written by the reformers themselves understand that supra ministerium as mera als as more than in other words the ministry does not embody the church in its totality. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The church has a ministry. and uh, But I'm not sure that one can so quickly say that the church is oh, over I, the ministry in authority. And I, the, the other leap, though, is that church and congregation are not exactly the same thing here. Or are you saying that they are? And when I'm, Melanchthon saying, says, I'm, saying talking, I'm saying he's talking about the congregation. Right. He goes just a little bit further. He says, likewise, Christ gives supreme and final jurisdiction to the church. When he says, tell it unto the church, that's not, that's the, that's the local congregation. Right, but, but uh, even Chemnitz, uh, and this is quoted by Walther, uh, Chemnitz points out that the church, a rightly ordered, consists of those who preach and those who hear. So when you're speaking of church, you're speaking of preachers and hearers, uh, or the, and 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 so you know everything is in in operation. You have the office properly filled, too. Uh, aside I'm, aside from that, you're not really talking church. I'm talk, when I say church, I'm talking about the vo- a group of lay people get together 
And uh, there is a call meeting, as Luther requests. And there they make their decisions and their judgments, including teaching and calling and appointing and judging doctrine, dismissing, dismissing, as proven by Scripture. And Luther explains the whole process. He lists, he listed all this going back to 1521, so, where Luther is, is writing all of this. And if you are looking for a radical, it certainly wasn't Walter. It was Luther. He's yeah. the radical. Yeah, no, no, that's probably true. The, the, uh, so, so you would say that the voters' assembly is the church in its fullness, with or without a minister. With or without a minister. is speaking for the entire congregation. Because Luther says, call a meeting and have all the members present, even list the time and so forth, when they're supposed to do it. Right. So and, uh, he said he's, a, he's wanting a meeting at least three times a year, and where they, where they settle issues and judge doctrine. Obviously, they're advised by the clergy, but, and they're supposed to follow the Holy Scripture. Otherwise, how will they be able to carry out an excommunication, which must be carried out not by the duke, not by the pastor, but by the voters themselves. Well, actually, uh, Walter says that the minister uh, carries out the excommunication, but he shouldn't do it without, without informing the whole congregation. You, you, want, you can talk about the lesser ban or the, or the greater ban. Uh, temporarily, he can suspend somebody, but he's got to report to the voters, and then the voters have the decision. So ultimately, then, the, the voters' assembly excommunicates. Absolutely. What, what if everybody's on the, on the side of the guy? What if, what if they're all his buddies, or as in the case of many LCMS churches, what if they're all his relatives? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you know, uh, I've been in those situations where it wasn't all the relatives. And, of course, well, no, Walter says it has to be unanimous. Some disagree and say they don't think it should be unanimous. Walter wants a unanimous vote. And I think, I think the wisdom of Walter on that unanimous vote is correct because— you have to find out who is teaching false doctrine. Churches divide. Uh, where, I, where I was a minister for five years in Lakewood, Ohio, there were two Lutheran churches not more than five blocks away from each other. And uh, how they get formed? Because one group was taken over by Masons. So a whole group had literally excommunicated the other group and walked out and formed another church five blocks away. Divisions happen. They will continue to happen. Part of the minister's burden, his, his work, is to keep the congregation pure. How does he do that? He's got to teach and preach and confirm and make sure that he has properly instructed the new members and he's constantly instructing the, the entire congregation, the pulpit and the Bible class, so he has agreement in doctrine and practice. It's a little bit uh, behind, the, behind the eight ball, when you say, oh, gee, how did all these problems arrive? Oh, yes, I forgot to teach that particular doctrine. You've got to ferret out the issues before it gets to that big vote. The most vulnerable time in initial faces in situations like that are when he has to go into a new congregation and bumps into some serious issues right up front. So, and he doesn't have time to teach everybody. And I, I, I was talking to the this poor guy that went to church and the previous minister had, had looked the other way on, a, on, a, on, two, on, a, on a le- two lesbians in the congregation. Uh, one of them happened to be the, the biggest giver. He confronted the lesbian. She left the church, and the congregation wanted to throw the minister out. 
So did did they have a Lord's Supper? What's that? I mean, did, did, did they have a valid Lord's Supper? That church? Yeah. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Oh, even but even this, even though they wanted to kick the pastor out for confronting the lesbian. Yes, they did have a valid Lord's Supper. Ah, okay. But they did, they, did, they did. People sin in many ways. The That's question true. Is, did they did they did they teach the correct doctrine uh, on Lord's Supper? Yes, they did. And therefore, when they take the Lord's Supper and they don't want to follow the doctrine, they're the ones who are drinking it to their own damnation. I am. We only have two minutes left. I need to ask you this before we, before we sign off. Why am I a sacerdotalist? You personally? Yeah. Uh, I was, back in 2001, I was particularly uh, perturbed at your dialogue the debate that you had with uh, Montgomery and uh, I think was that was that committee seven? That would be the, that wasn't Montgomery. Yeah. That 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 was that was uh, the the district. Wallenberg. Yeah, George Wallenberg, the district president of Monta- Montana district. Right, and at that time, you you were questioning uh, Walter's position and the and the and the uh, and the entire convention voting on whether they were going to reaffirm Walter Church and Ministry. And I recall uh, quite distinctly that you felt that part, part of Walter's position there on, uh, on congregational polity was against the gospel, and uh, to which uh, Wallenberg was quite disturbed. And uh, I thought he was going to ask to leave the meeting. I mean, uh, you, re- you recall the expression and look on his face and the tone of voice. Well, actually, uh, he, yeah, he, he and I had a private conversation about that where he informed me that he needed this, this resolution passed as a club uh, against especially the Fort Wayne pastors. I remember his, his uh, finger stuck in my chest. By the way, I'm a St. Louis graduate, so it really didn't apply to me uh, personally. But, but, uh, but he seemed to think that, that church and ministry and the theses uh, provided him with the necessary weight and club uh, to go after certain pastors in his district, which is why he was upset. Uh, just for the record, just for the record, Jack, uh, the objection that I raised was I thought it ill-advised um, especially in view of the preface of Kirche and Amt, to elevate uh, Walther's writing, which was occasioned by Grabau, to the level of dogma in the Missouri Synod, when even, uh, even the preface admits this is not a complete doctrine. So what we inadvertently did was we dogmatized an incomplete doctrine and made it our own. I thought that was a very poor move on our part. Didn't we do that in 1852? No. Uh, what, what we did in 1852 is we approved those theses as our response, our, the response to Grabau and the Buffalo Synod and the charges they made against us. They were rather weighty charges that Grabau and the Buffalo Synod officially made against uh, the LCMS, and that was our official response. Well, if, if you recall, at least there were certain professors at the Fort Wayne Seminary uh, when I went through, who uh, would teach, regularly teach that Walter Church and Ministry was the official position of the LCMS on congregational polity. That, that, that may be, but to dogmatize it and basically make it our definitive doctrine, which is what the resolution stated, is overstating it. And what it does is it makes it no longer subject to criticism. Now it's a matter of dogma. We have to accept it, or we have to be in I, I, dissent with I it. Think, uh, 
I think I, I, I wasn't there, but I, I think the 2007 uh, convention uh, uh, gave you a way, gave you a way back out of that. Not entirely sure, but that was the gist of 2001. Suffice it to say, I don't really hold any of the errors uh, that are ascribed to sacerdotalism. And at some point, if you are writing again, I'd appreciate a retraction of that. My being a sacerdotalist, I don't think that I fit the bill in any way, shape, or form. I will, I will, if I write about that subject again, I will say, swallows and eyes, he is a dollars, and that he has, uh, was opposed to Re- Resolution 770 in 2001 because it raised Walter's church and ministry to the level of, of synodical dogma. That would, Did I say I, that right? I'd go with that. Oh, you might. Have, you hope you don't mind if I disagree with that, but I'll, I will say it. Oh, you can you can disagree with it all you want, but I would agree. That's what I said. Uh, we're out of time. Thank We've you, got Jack. To call it a day. Here. I appreciate your patience. The debate continues. <laughs> God bless you, Jack. Good night, Dad. Bye, Mr. McKenzie. Bye, go. You stayed here an hour. Over the line! Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Bill is a uh, dynamic presence. He, when uh, he enjoys being the center of the. Danny Craig. How many others have you done this to? What gives you the right to hand out life and death? They do everything together. Everything. They uh, read the same books. They uh, do uh, Pilates together. Uh They walk, talk, sleep, even go make toilets. You know what? You're starting to creep me out, man. A single plot. One single plot. Good night. I don't need to hear about them doing a toilet. You want bugs happen? No, you listed like 8,000. Look, it's none of my business. More like, I don't know, between five and ten. Young lucky wee man! Ah. This aggression will not stand, man. Take her easy, dude.